interesting. This episode of Hmm Interesting is brought to you by Naps Restaurant, a restaurant that incorporates carbohydrates and naps. Go ahead and enjoy yourself a nice bowl of mac and cheese and a 20-minute nap. Product of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hmm Interesting. In this episode, we had the opportunity to chat with a very dear friend of ours about a very interesting career that he had. His story is both a history lesson and a life lesson. I know I love history and I can use all the life lessons I can get. I hope the same is true for you. And as always, please remember that all stories on Hmm Interesting are true according to the storyteller. Enjoy. Okay, here with me in person, I have uh, Mr. Bob Cott. Uh, hello, Bob. Anthony, welcome. Glad <laughs> to see you. Yeah, you too. Go ahead and, um, before we get started with your amazing storage, I'm so excited to hear, um, will you go ahead and just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and uh, who you were in your past life? Yeah, so I think what mostly you're interested in, Anthony, is my career in the Foreign Service of the United States. So those of you who don't know what the Foreign Service is, it's the Diplomatic Corps. So we represent the United States abroad in embassies. And I spent 28 years doing that. Um, preceding that, and what got me interested in the Foreign Service was uh, two years of service in India as a Peace Corps volunteer back in the dark ages. <laughs> so from there, I went to graduate school, and then I joined the Foreign Service. Okay. And um, I'll be happy to answer any questions or tell you any stories you might want to hear. Okay, so when you were in the Foreign Service, um, you were a diplomat uh, in a foreign country. Correct. What country? Correct. I spent most of my career in Africa, but not all of it. My first posting was Indonesia back from 1971 to 73. And then my first African posting was a little country called Togo in West Africa. From there, uh, back to Washington, I became the Nigerian desk officer during a very exciting period of time during President Carter's administration when Africa was riding very high in foreign policy and Nigeria was arguably the most important country in Africa because we got m more oil from Nigeria in those days than any other country in the world. And that's when we were importing over 50% of our total amount of oil that we consumed in the United States. So Nigeria was a very important client, yeah. or we were important clients in Nigeria. Uh, in fact, President Carter, became the very first U.S. president to make a state visit to Africa. And his first stop was Nigeria. That's how important it was. The first U.S. president ever to go to Africa on a state visit. So after, uh, after Nigeria, I went to Cameroon uh, as the economic officer in Cameroon, which is also sort of West Central Africa. From there, I went immediately to um, Malawi, which is in southern Africa. It used to be called Nyasaland, if you collect stamps. <laughs> and um, I was, became the deputy ambassador there for three years. Uh, after that, which would have been 1984, I returned to Washington. I worked on the South African desk at a very interesting and rather uh, trying time. That's when apartheid was rearing its ugly head in, in a very meaningful way. Uh, and there was a lot of violence. Um, Mandela had been imprisoned. Steve Biko had been killed. 
there's a lot of problems. Right. It wasn't a happy assignment, quite frankly. And when I left there, uh, I was supposed to go to Somalia, but everybody remembers Black Hawk Down. Yes. Uh, we closed the mission in Somalia. Then I went out to Senegal, that I was the um, acting ambassador for about a year because we didn't have an ambassador at post. Okay, so Senegal. Yeah, that's the... You told me about Senegal before. So Senegal is, correct me if I'm wrong, the location of the story you're going to tell. Yes. Okay. Um, so, Bob, without further ado, will you go ahead and tell us your fantastic story about your time in Senegal? Well, I don't know how fantastic it is, Anthony, but, you know, uh, people ask uh, virtually any foreign service officer who's lived abroad for so many years, oh, my God, you must have so many interesting stories you can write a book. I don't really have that many interesting <laughs> stories. I've got two or three I can think of off the top of my head. But one of them was uh, in Senegal in 1994. Um the ambassador was on home leave after having been at post for a year or two. And um, so I, again, became head of the mission. The title is Charge d'Affaires, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means in charge of affairs. Um, so it's acting ambassador. Anyway, uh, one, um, one week we had a visit from a U.S. naval ship, uh, which was participating in something called the West African Training Cruise. And the name of the ship was the USA Lamour County. County. And I think it was a troop carrier and auxiliary kind of, kind of ship, a rather significantly large ship, but, but not a warship in the sense of a, a destroyer or a cruiser or anything like that. Uh, the crew is happy because they get shore liberty right. and they do good works. They'll, they'll do a project. They might um, rebuild a, a school or might um, renovate a hospital or something like that that shows goodwill for, for America and for the U.S. Navy. Community relations. Community relations, yeah. exactly. Hearts and minds. And then they throw uh, a reception on board for uh, the dignitaries in town, uh, the local government, uh, diplomats, what have you. So uh, we participated in all of that. It was in port for maybe three days. Off goes the ship. That was on a Friday night, perhaps. <laughs> Saturday morning, we get a message from the next port of call, which is down the West African coast at a city called Banjul, which is the capital of the Gambia, a very small little country, which is sort of a uh, if you looked at the map of Senegal, you'd see somebody stuck a finger in the side of the Senegal and pulled it out, <laughs> and that would be Gambia. It's a very, very small country, but it's English-speaking country. It's not a French-speaking country, whereas Senegal is French-speaking. In any case, the uh, captain of the ship, accompanied by the U.S. ambassador in Banjul, went in to call on the vice president of Gambia. During their meeting... Uh, the president of Gambia, whose office was right next door, came barging into the vice president's office and declared that soldiers were marching down the main avenue and attempting to overthrow the government oh. <laughs> in a coup attempt, a coup d'etat. What can we do? Everybody looked at each other. The president of Gambia looked at the ambassador and the captain of the ship of the Lamore County and said, can I take refuge on the ship? Can my government take refuge on your ship until this is settled? The ambassador looked at the captain. The captain said, sir, it's your call. 
the ambassador said, Captain, can we do this? Captain said, yes. The next thing you knew, the president of Gambia, the vice president of Gambia, several other officials and their families, not to mention a few goats and chickens, <laughs> boarded the Lamour County. Oh, wow. The Lamour County pulled out of the harbor to a safe passage out at sea, anchored because they really didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do at this point. And ultimately, ultimately, a decision is made that they can't go back to Gambia for safe haven because the soldiers might kill them. Right. Kill the president, the vice president, and their families. Now, I don't know if I, at this point, should go backtrack a little bit. And yeah, go ahead, give, backtrack. Give tell, my in, tell me what, impression. What, what, was, so, what was going on there? So the, the problem was that the soldiers were really marching on the presidency because they weren't being paid. As simple as that. Back pay. Basically, that's it. You never want to be an African dictator. In this case, by the way, I should emphasize that uh, Sir Dawada Jawa, the president of, of uh, Gambia, was not really a dictator. Gambia was one of the very few countries, I can name only one or two others, that have actually had free elections up until that point. Right. This is 1994 we're talking about. Um, so he was a rather benevolent ruler. Um, free and fair elections? More or less, probably. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, he, w he didn't pay the army, or at least he wasn't paying them sufficiently. And so the army protested, and it, took, it manifested itself in this march on the presidency by armed soldiers. I don't think they were firing guns. I don't think they were killing anybody. I don't think they were rolling tanks down the street. What they were trying to do is get justice for themselves and their families. They were probably going hungry. Right. You never want to be an African leader and not pay your military. Right. Uh, you don't want to be a leader anywhere and not pay your military. Uh, they've got the guns. Anyway, uh, because he feared for his life, he asked for refuge on the ship. Refuge was granted. And ultimately, after much toing and froing, um, and that's where I come into play here, um, the, the powers that be in Washington, the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, Mr. Moose, and others uh, were calling me saying, get the Senegalese to allow the ship to return to Dakar and allow President Chihuahua and uh, the entourage on the ship to have a safe haven and, and refuge, if you will, in Senegal, at least temporarily. There was not exactly a happy relationship at this point in time between Senegal and Gambia. There was no violence, but, but it wasn't a, a, a pleasant, um, harmonious, um, um, diplomatic relationship. I was unable to get in touch with the presidency. It was a weekend. I was unable to get in touch with the foreign minister, for Sir Juara, to, to take refuge along with his family and others. Um, I finally was able to get a hold of the finance minister, who I knew very well. He was in town. He said, let me see what I can do for you, Cot. I understand the situation, but it may be difficult. Well, that was Saturday, maybe afternoon. Finally, I got the okay from the finance minister. He said he spoke to the president or the presidency, and they would allow the ship to return. They would grant Sir Juada uh, and his family and others in the entourage, uh, temporary refuge in, in, uh, in Senegal. In fact, they even allowed him to use the state guest house, oh, nice. which was very nice of them, very gracious. 
So on Sunday at about five o'clock in the afternoon, I, I and uh, my acting uh, deputy, the political officer, uh, trundled down to the port and uh, we rounded up some cars from the embassy and uh, we picked them all up. We, we received them at the gangway of the ship and um, greeted the president and uh, his vice president and, and the others, put them in cars, brought them to the state guest house. And, and that's sort of the end of the story, except that um, after about three days, they did leave for London where they were welcomed and were allowed to stay. Um, the president used to call me up every so often for a few weeks, asking if he thought I might he might be able to return to to um, Gambia. Unfortunately, what turned out to be a non coup initially, uh, ultimately, since he fled the country, turned into a real coup. So if he didn't flee, he'd he he probably been he probably would have been in power still. Uh, well, now he's deceased. But uh, yeah. but yes, at the time he probably would have still been president. Um, the man who took power, Mr. Jame, uh, uh, I guess he was Sergeant Jame at the time, and became a Colonel or General Jame, uh, ruled for the next 20 years. And he was like a... And he dick. was a dictator. Yeah. And was ultimately um, uh, thrown out of power. Right. Um, so literally, it could have been as simple as him just paying these soldiers, and then, but he got scared and ran away. I think if he had faced the music and said... I'll meet with you. Let's have a powwow. Yeah. And uh, did something positively, paid them, or right. promised pay, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he'd, he'd been president for 20 more years until he died, probably. Probably. I mean, wow. because he was a well-respected figure. Yeah. That yeah. is insane. So, I remember you telling me another part about the story, this is some years later, I think, that you met one of his family members. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, interestingly, my sister, who's now deceased, um... She was ailing, and she was uh, recuperating in a um, in a rehab center, not far from where I live in Leesburg, Virginia. And uh, there were most of the staff in there happened to be uh, Africans. Yeah. Um, not all of them. Some Indians, some Americans, some, but a lot of them were Africans. And and I'd like to talk with people from abroad, since I spent many of. 18 years of my life abroad, and um, uh, went up to this one lady, and I said, where are you from? You sound like you're from West Africa. She said, yes, I'm from Gambia. I said, really? I, I used to live in Senegal. I said, uh, you know, what brought you here? She says, well, my uncle um, was the president of Gambia. <laughs> I said, you mean Sir Juada Dawa? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, well, guess what? And then I told her this story about how I saved his neck. <laughs> Small world, and I gave her, and I gave her. I think I gave her a hat from the ship. Yeah, the USS Lamore County. USS Lamore County. I gave her a hat from that ship as a memento, and I said, "Please pass my warm regards to your uncle, (laughs) (laughs) who was still living in London at the time." Yeah, what what year did he die? Sir Jawara died about a year or so ago. This is this is two thousand twenty-one. I think he died in either 19 or 20. Okay. At a ripe old age of 90-something. Yeah, so he yeah. died in exile. In, in exile in, in London. London, yeah. Like many Africans do. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a pretty dangerous thing to be a, an African president because you either are going to get assassinated or overthrown. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that has been... <laughs> yeah, unfortu- unfortunately, that's been this, like, the case in, in much of Africa. Not all of Africa, but much of Africa. Happily, in the last 20 or 30 years, I'd say since the Clinton administration especially, 
uh, human rights has played a bigger part. At one point, 10, 15 years ago, I'd say maybe over half the countries in Africa actually had free, free and reasonably fair elections and were, were bur- burgeoning democracies. Yeah. I think there's been a little bit of retreading there. And unfortunately, some of them have, have gone backwards. Um, but politically, politically, and in a human rights f- uh, venue, um, things have gotten better in Africa than they were 30, 40 years ago. When what year did you end up uh, getting out of the Foreign Service, Bob? So after 28 years, I left in um, 1999. Okay. And um, I had a good run. I can't think of anything I would rather have done. Yeah. And so now, I mean, you're, are you retired 100% now? Or now still- I am, but I, I had two more careers after the Foreign Service. I, um, I went back to the State Department on a part-time basis, um, declassifying documents from presidential libraries and I did that for about 14 years. Okay. And when COVID came along, I think that was the time to quit. And I threw in the towel. I was 75 years old then. I'm 76 now. So that was a good run. Now you're just enjoying so, life. Yeah, I think 50 years of working was enough. That is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so I still maintain that you were a spy. And uh, you're, you're... Absolutely not. <laughs> no, my wife thinks so, too. Um <laughs> No, I, we worked very closely with the intelligence agencies, of course, all foreign service. Off, not I shouldn't say all foreign service. Foreign service works closely with the intelligence agencies. Right. I mean, they're integrated in, in many cases. Uh, we provide cover for them yeah. and everything else. Um, we use their intelligence. They use our diplomatic reporting for their intelligence. So it's a hand-in-glove relationship. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very respectful of and... Uh, have a high regard for the far, uh, for the intelligence community. Um, I think they um, they have a, a, a much bigger budget than they need. Probably too many, <laughs> probably more people than they need. Oh, they're gonna come after you. Yeah, now. that's it. But uh, <laughs> but basically, they do a, a very good job, and uh, they shouldn't be belittled by uh, by by any of the citizenry of this country. We should be thankful. They live double lives. Many of them. They work long hours into the night. Um, they have to keep secrets from their families and friends, and um, it's it's an admirable profession. Yeah, spoken like a true spy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob, thanks a lot for your time. We appreciate it. You're story. welcome, Anthony. It was great fun. All right, have a good one. One more story later. Some other time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode, and I hope you learned a valuable lesson. Sometimes it's better to stay and face your fears rather than to run away. Don't end up like President Dewada Jawa. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please continue to spread the word. Please leave comments on any medium you can. Please go and visit our Instagram. That's hmm, interesting, 1518. Um, we're going to have pictures there related to all of our episodes. This episode in particular, we have a few pictures of pictures of Bob with President Carter. So the proof is there, folks. He really is who he says he was um anyways guys thank you so much for your support and as always we will see you next time hmm interesting